Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. I'm so glad that you are with us here this weekend, this beautiful spring-like weekend in the middle of fall. We are very, very grateful for it. And uh, I'm excited to continue in our Afterwards series. I'm excited to uh, lead us through a really practical prayer uh, principle that we can put into our lives this week. Uh, before we get into it, though, I want to just do uh, just something quick personally. I want to say uh, to, to many of you who reached out to our family and were really loving and kind and praying for our family this week, I want to say thank you. Uh, this week was a hard week for uh, our family. Uh, we had to say goodbye to one of the founding members of Team Stevens. We had to say goodbye to our almost 13-year-old yellow lab, Molly. Yeah, she, she's, she was our first kid, and we spoiled her as such. And um, we really, really love her and really miss her. She uh, has filled our home um, with a lot of love. And she's filled our, our home with a lot of farts as well. <laughs> this is true. She's terrible. She could clear this room if she wanted to. Um, there's been a lot of tears in our family. Our kids had the chance to actually say goodbye to her, and uh, we spent the last night just spoiling her and, and uh, loving on her, and, um, and we really miss her. So I just want to say to those of you who reached out to us, and it may seem small to you, but it means a ton to us that you're praying for us and encouraging us and, um, and thinking of us. And, and if you're not a pet person, there's no way I could possibly explain this to you. Um, but if you are, I don't have to, you know, so. So thank you. I just want to say as we're talking about prayer, for those of you who've prayed for our family for this, we're, uh, we really miss her, but we're really, uh, really, really grateful. Uh, we are actually coming to the end of a uh, teaching series where we've been looking at prayer, and, and specifically, we've been looking at this one aspect of prayer. H how do you pray when you don't know what to say? And that can hit a lot of us in a lot of different ways. Maybe you're kind of new to the faith thing and you don't know how. You don't have the language yet. You don't have the words yet of, of, of how to pray. Or maybe you've been at this thing for a long time. You've been maybe following God since you were a kid. And your prayers have maybe got a little old, a little cold, a little stale. And so all of us come to a point where we just are kind of run out of words with God or don't know what to say. And so we're going to be looking specifically at, at how you can actually uh, copy today off of someone else's work. And not only get away with it when it comes to prayer, you can actually grow in your relationship with God by cheating at prayer. Uh, this last week, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, a business guy here in Chicago, and he knew what we were talking about here at Soul City Church, and so we were talking about prayer. And he was telling me about his experience with prayer, his frustration, even confusion around prayer. Maybe you can relate. He was telling me about how at work, it's very stressful for him. He has to kind of generate deals and then close deals, and that's how he makes his salary. And so he's just telling me there's times where he'd work really, really, really hard, like for months on generating deals and closing deals, and nothing would seem to happen. And so he'd, you know, throw a Hail Mary kind of pass prayer to a bunch of friends, email a bunch of friends and say, will you please pray for me? I have to close these certain numbers. And lo and behold, seemingly out of nowhere, his prayer gets answered and he closes deals that like come out of the woodworks that just like deals just start falling onto his desk. You know, like he's got God's lotto number and he just sort of makes it happen. If you have that powerful prayer, I have a lot of things I want you to pray for me. And, and he tells me, he's like, he's like that, but that's actually happened. Maybe that's happened to you. Like you just desperately prayed for something and then it came to pass. Have you ever had that happen? You're like, oh my gosh, this stuff really works. So then he said, so here's what he goes, this is what I did. I adopted this strategy. Instead of working really, really, really hard and then getting to the end of myself and then praying, he said, then what I would do is I would start by praying. I'm like, ah, you're learning. And he'd go, I'd start by praying. I'd pray really, really, really hard. And then I'd work really, really, really hard. And then nothing would happen. You ever had that happen to you? 
did everything that we thought was the right way, and yet it didn't work like it did before. And so he looked at me with all seriousness and sincerity, and he said to me, so what's the deal? <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to answer it all for him. But he's like, what's the deal? How does that actually work? And then he said this question. I think it's a really profound and powerful question. He said, look, I just want to know, is there a prayer that I can pray that God is guaranteed to answer? You ever felt that way? Is there a prayer? Is there something I can say that is guaranteed to make God move, to make him answer? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I have. I know that I've felt that way. In the midst of all of the beauty and mystery of faith, I want a little certainty every now and then. I want to know that something's like actually going to work. And so what I want to do today is walk us through a prayer practice that actually works and moves God, and it's a way that you can guarantee, you can count on God to answer your prayer every time you pray it. Sounds too good to be true? The truth is actually, you already know a little bit about this prayer practice. In fact, some of you may already be awesome at it. And I want to prove to you what I mean, a way of praying that you can guarantee that God will answer your prayer. So I want to do just a little pop quiz if I can. So this goes for all of us here and all listening. If you're listening online, this is for you too, or listening to Overflow, this is for you as well. Here's what I'm going to do. It's a pop quiz and it's, it's an oral quiz. You have to say your answer out loud, okay? I'm going to start a prayer and I want to see if you can finish it. I'm going to start a prayer that maybe you've heard of or know or familiar with. And I want to see if you can fill in the next line. Okay, can we do that together? All right. Well, you don't have a choice. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, all right, here's how it starts. It goes like this. It goes, Our Father. Oh, you've heard of this one. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth. See, you are already awesome at this. You just didn't know it yet. How many of you grew up with that prayer, memorizing or hearing that prayer? Some of you maybe called it the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. Maybe that's a prayer you're familiar with. If you didn't grow up memorizing that, if you didn't just raise your hand and you're feeling kind of left out, it's, it's actually okay. Like while we were busy memorizing that, you were probably memorizing Tupac lyrics, and that's okay. No, we were praying for you. We were praying for you the whole time that you were doing that. I I'm, unfortunately did both. So... Um, <laughs> What is at the heart of that prayer? I think that many of us have prayed. In fact, maybe you grew up around it or hearing it, or you're, you're at the very least familiar with it. What's going on with that prayer? And here's the question. For those of you who've prayed it before, who have memorized it and said it before, here's my question to you as you've prayed that prayer before in your life with all sincerity and seriousness. Did you ever, while you were praying that prayer, stop and ask yourself, why am I saying these words? Or where did these words come from? Or what do these words even mean for my life today. Maybe you were being a good little religious person by memorizing and reciting it, but did you ever ask yourself the important question, why? Or what was Jesus trying to teach me through this prayer? So I thought what we could do is actually go to the heart. We're going to look at a couple different passages, but we're going to camp out in one and look at a way that Jesus has invited us to pray when we don't know what to say. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 6. If you have it on your phone, fantastic. If not, we have you covered. There should be a blue Bible in your seat back. Why don't you grab that? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Everyone grab one of these blue Bibles. You can turn to page 678 in the blue Bible, page 678 in the blue Bible. Would you grab a pen too? I'm going to be mentioning some different references. We're not going to go to all of them in the Bible, but I'm going to want you to write these down. At the end, I'm going to give you a moment to actually write them down, but you may want to put these in your phone or write these down. And let me say this. We're going to be talking about how we can leverage and use the Bible to actually help us pray today. And so I just feel like I have to say this to you. If you're serious about knowing who this God is or having a relationship with him and you don't 
own a Bible yet, we can fix that today. This blue Bible that you're holding, if you do not own a Bible, this is your Bible. I want you to steal a Bible from church today. I don't want you to brag about it on social media. Tell everyone you stole a Bible from church because this is that important that you have this transformational truth for your life. And for the exercise and the homework we're going to do together this week, you're going to want to have one of these. So if you don't own one, now you do. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Let me give you context to where we come in the story of the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is early on in his public ministry. He's been doing some teaching. He's called his disciples to him, a few miracles. And so his reputation is growing. And his disciples who were following him, his followers, began to notice that he had a powerful way of praying. They saw how Jesus had the power to pray that his power literally could calm wind and waves to be still. And they also noticed that Jesus' prayers had a way of calming the wind and waves in his own heart, in his own life, with the intensity of ministry and the weight of the world that was upon his shoulders. They saw how he would go away from the crowds, pull away to quiet places to pray. They'd seen how Jesus' cousin, John the baptizer, how his disciples had prayed with such power. And so Jesus' disciples came to him at one point. The Gospel of Luke actually records that they asked him the question, how do we pray like you? Like the question I think all of us is, how do I pray? God, how do I pray like you, Jesus? And so this is what he said. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 6, the words that maybe you memorized as a kid. We're going to look at why Jesus gave us those words and what they have to teach us about how to pray when we don't know what to say. Jesus said these words, Our Father... In heaven, does this sound familiar? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, just another word for revered, praised, most high is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now hit pause before we go any further in this verse. Now again, you may have memorized this, gotten kind of through this as a kid, but did you ever stop and wonder what is really being said here? What Jesus is saying is, look, I'm not giving you words to memorize. I'm giving you a way to pray. And you can start when you pray by acknowledging who God is. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's acknowledging, God, you are great. Your way above my way. Your ways are better than my ways. If they weren't, you wouldn't be praying. He says, hallowed be your name. Glory and worship and honor to your name. God, I want your way to rule here on earth. And so then Jesus says, that's a way you can start, by just acknowledging who God is. Then he goes on, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Hit pause right there. What is Jesus talking about here? He's saying our daily needs, that God knows every one of the needs that you have, and it's actually by his hand that your needs are provided. That's why we give when we come to church, because it's a way of us recognizing and, and giving back out of the generous and good hand of God. And so he just says, it's okay to ask him. It's okay to ask and to trust God to supply your needs. Even as common and core of needs, God, just the food that I eat is a gift from you. And so he just says, it's okay to say, God, help. So I start by saying, God, you are, and then I say, God, help. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What is Jesus saying here? Again, these are not just words to memorize. He's saying, look, this is what happens in life. We wander, we stray, we walk far from the heart and the will and the way of God. And so after I say, God, I acknowledge who you are, and God, will you help provide this in my life? I come to God and I say with a sincere heart, God, I'm sorry. And I acknowledge specifically, God, will you forgive me for this? God, here I go, I did it again. God, will you forgive me? How many times have I come to you and I've asked for your help, but God, here I am again, and I've done it again, and I own it. So will you forgive me? And God, will you help me to avoid these temptations that keep pulling me back in? And you know what yours are. You know what they are. 
So Jesus says, why wouldn't you name them specifically, ultimately, to your Father in heaven who loves you? And then some translations, or maybe you grew up memorizing it this way, close out. Your Bible may not have this in it in front of you, but some of them closed out by these words. It says this in Matthew 13, kind of B. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did you grow up? How many of you grew up with that part of it? See, I grew up in a church where we didn't just say this, we sang it. And that's a part where people would just let loose. For that is the kingdom and the power. Like people had been waiting all week for that part of the song. Glory! Like people would really go for it at that part of the song. That's where they bottle it all up and that's where it all came out. Maybe you're familiar with that because what's that? That's a way Jesus is saying, look, here's a way to pray. It's not just for you to memorize or to sing a song in church. It's for you to say, ultimately, God, all of this is for you. My life, everything, and it's for you, God. So is Jesus just, what's he doing here? Is he Is he giving us just words to memorize or is he giving us a way to pray, a way to come to God when we don't know what to say? What Jesus is doing here is he's essentially filling in the blanks for you and me between us and God. He's filling in the blanks. He's saying, this is how you can pray. You can pray like this. If you don't know what to say, you can fall back on this. You can pray like this. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, it's okay to plagiarize my prayer. Take these words and make them your own and make this your prayer. And in so doing, Jesus gives us an invitation to do what he himself did. He would actually pray scripture back to God. He would pray words that were given from God back to God. This is, in fact, what followers of Jesus have done for centuries and centuries and centuries. Praying the Bible, or as I like to call it, prayerful plagiarism, where we take the words that someone else wrote and we make them our own to help connect our heart ultimately to God. And maybe this is a practice that that you already put into your life, but maybe it's one that you didn't even know that you could do, that you could steal words from the Bible and make them your own to pray to bring your heart to God. If you're ever stuck and don't know what to say, this is a great practice for you to pray the Bible. It's a way for you to pray something that you can guarantee God will answer. Oftentimes I'll meet with people from our church, from this church. I love seeing how God is growing this church. Now people are taking big steps in their relationship with God, daily steps and growing in their relationship with God. That is what we are here about. We're here to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. And you know what? There's people, every time I meet with them, they'll say a frustration that I myself carry and maybe you can relate to. When it comes to kind of where they're getting stuck in their relationship with God or their spiritual journey, there's usually two things that top the list of top five things that keep us from growing with God. Usually what I hear people say are, you know what, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm growing, but I just feel like I'm just not praying enough. You ever, you ever felt that way? I'm just not praying enough. I was talking to someone this last week. I said, I'm, just, I'm just not praying about that enough. I just know I'm not praying about that enough. People get frustrated and shameful. I'm just not praying enough. You know, the second thing is that typically that I hear people say when they're kind of stuck in their relationship with God, I'm not praying enough. And the second thing is, I'm just not reading my Bible enough. I'm just not reading. Did you ever say, I mean, have you ever felt that way? Maybe you wouldn't admit it, but other people have the courage to admit it. And they would say like, I'm just not praying enough. I'm just not reading my Bible enough. This is what's so powerful about this principle, about this practice of praying the Bible is you can accomplish both things at once. This is like sleeping and working out at the same time. It's like getting paid for going on vacation. It's something that you can do where you can say, I want to, I want to know more. I want to understand God more. I want to pray more. You can do both actually at the same time. You can pray the Bible, plagiarize these prayers and make them 
your own. And if you want to pray something that you can guarantee God will answer, then pray the word of God. Because praying the word of God is praying the will of God over your life. I don't want you to miss that. People will ask me, like, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I do know this. You pray the word of God over your life, and you will be praying the will of God over your life. I guarantee it. Because this is from his heart. And when you make this your heart, you are literally praying these words of God, and that is praying the will of God, the way of God, over your everyday life. It's how you align your life with God. You can try really, really, really hard on your own, and that will take you so far. Or you can pray the word of God over your life and let these words become your own, and in so doing, pray the will of God over your life and align your life with him. And see God move in powerful ways in your life. You can count on that. That's what Jesus did. It's what his followers did. There's a great little story in Acts chapter 4. Just not long after Jesus had given his life for us on the cross, paid the weight for our sin, paid it all, raised by God from the dead, ascended into heaven. Well, the church begins right after that. And the church leaders early in that day, these were followers of Jesus who couldn't get it right. The same ones who said, how do we pray? We're now leading the church. Uh Uh-oh. They're the ones leading the revolution called the church, which is why we're here today. And they kept getting arrested because of their faith in Jesus. People did not like it what they were doing. And so one account in Acts chapter four, they were arrested. They were standing before the religious leaders. It was always the religious leaders who arrested them. And so they're standing before the religious leaders and they're being accused of this, that, and the other, of basically following Jesus. And they begin to recite back to these religious leaders teachings from the Bible, words from the Bible, words from God's own heart to them. And it's so, it shut them down and it shut those religious leaders down in the moment. And they finally had to let these guys go because they didn't really have any charges to hold them on. And Peter and John were so excited when they were released from being held by the religious leaders that they gathered the church together, a couple thousand people at this point, and they got together. And do you know what? They prayed in thanks and gratitude to God. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. And it says the place where they were gathered, praying the words of God began to shake. Literally, the buildings began to shake with the power of God. You want to see the will of God for your life? Pray the words of God over your life and see what happens. This is a practice that the desert fathers would use for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. These are people, sincere followers of Jesus, who were being pulled by the culture around them. So they decided to pull out of the culture and literally go and live in the desert to preserve their faith and to preserve their life. For hundreds of years, they would preserve the faith, and the way they would do that is they would gather together at specific times in the day, and they would pray the book of Psalms. They would take prayers that David prayed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before and make them their prayers. And if you grew up around church, maybe you grew up in a church where they they read from or they taught from or they prayed from the Book of Common Prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Book of Common Prayer. It's been a part of Christian practice now for many, many, many years. That book, if that was a part of your religious tradition growing up, do you know what that's filled with? It's just filled with the word of God. Filled with the words of God that you can make yours, you can steal, you can copy and paste, make them yours, and begin to see the will of God accomplished actually in your life. It's a powerful practice. Have you ever thought about that for yourself? Instead of struggling to try and figure out what to pray, I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to pray, what would it look like for you to to, to pray through the Psalms, to to open up the Bible to the middle, like literally just open up the middle, find a Psalm and say, okay, God, I want you to make this my prayer. If David could pour out his heart to you, then I'm going to pour out my heart to you. And if I have to use his words as training wheels, then I will. 
Or maybe for you to, to take maybe the, the Beatitudes. If you go back to where, where you're at in Matthew 6, if you jump back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus starts the most famous sermon in history by listing off people who are blessed, people who society had overlooked. And Jesus makes a specific point to look them in the eye and say, you were blessed, you were blessed, you were blessed. And so to pray through the Beatitudes for you to say, God, would you make me meek? God, would you help me mourn well? God, would you make me a peacemaker? God, would you help me become pure in heart? These are prayers that God will answer in your life when you pray these words of God to him. Years later, Paul would write about what the fruit of life with Jesus should look like. In Galatians chapter 5, he writes about this image, this imagery of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Because Paul was kind of looking out and saying, look, the, the whole point of Christianity is not just to sit and be fed. And what do you have for me? And what do you have for me? And what do you have? Well, a lot of people call that Christianity today. But that's not the point of following Jesus and knowing him. Paul says if you are in a relationship with him, there should be fruit that comes out of your life. There should be evidence of the work of God at work in your life. And so Paul goes on to list what that looks like. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you're familiar with it. He says, look, this is what the Holy Spirit produces. This is the kind of fruit. This is what it looks like. It looks like love and joy and peace. Just hit pause. Maybe you're, you heard this before. You've breezed past. Like, what would it look like for you to stop and just pray this fruit into your life? Can you imagine what would happen this week if you started every day by saying, God, would you make me a more loving person? God, would you make me a more loving person? You may have to say that all the way to work because on your commute, you're going to want to kill somebody. <laughs> or by 9.05 and you get to work and that person's bothering you again, God, would you make me a more loving person? What would it look like for you to pray that fruit into your life? To not hope that you become more loving, but to pray the word of God and the will of God over your life. God, make me more patient. I'm not a patient person. I'm not by nature a patient person. Those of you who are parents, what if you prayed every, what if you prayed every five minutes? God, make me more patient. I want this fruit to come out of my life. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Yeah, you, you have been drifting through life these last couple years. You have been unrooted from anything and anyone. God, would you make me more faithful? Help me follow through with you in my relationships, with my work, my life. God, gentleness, self-control. Paul says there is no law against these things. What the law there is referring to religion. There is no have to with this fruit. This is just good fruit that comes out of your life when you pray these words of God over your life. What would that look like for you to make that your prayer? And I think that's very important that you understand what I'm saying here is that you make these words your words. You don't, don't just go through and, and recite them again like a, like a spell or a genie in a lamp. You say it three times and all of a sudden you're more loving. It just doesn't work that way. But to make these words your words, not just reciting them and getting through them so you can check off the box. Because there's a huge, huge, huge difference between reciting something and reflecting on something. Big difference. Maybe you grew up, I, I grew up going to church and I, Sunday school, we, like we got rewarded for reciting things. I got gold stars for learning a verse long enough to get the little gold star and then I forgot it. Maybe that's how you grew up even going through school. If you've ever copied off of someone else's work, you knew just what you had to do to get through, through the test and then you forgot it all. Big difference between reciting and reflecting. When you make these words your words, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to reflect on these. The Bible uses the word meditate. I'm going to meditate on these words. 
Not my stress, fear, anxiety of the day. No, I'm going to let these words dwell richly in my heart. I'm going to reflect on them, and then I'm going to make them mine. I'm going to make these prayers my prayers to God. I have to personally internalize these words and let them marinate and sit with me so that they become my desire, and I can pray it to God, and I can see him. I will see him move in my life when I do so. And I can tell you this because I've seen it firsthand in my own life. Now, I kind of grew up, like I said, going to church, and, and by the time I got to college, I was done with religion, I was done with church, I was done with all that stuff. Maybe you can relate. I was, it just didn't work for me anymore. It wasn't a sustainable system. And so I kind of walked away from it all and then found Jesus at the end of religion, go figure, and began a real relationship with him for what he had done for me. I gave my life to him. And so that began a journey for me and ultimately led me here to Chicago. And I was getting trained to, to be a pastor, to go and be a pastor. And so I got my first real job working at a church out here in the suburbs. And the first boss I ever had at my first real church job, this was a huge value to him. His name was Bo. And, and he used to be an old high school football coach. And so there was a lot of clapping in our meetings. And we would take knees for no reason, just take a knee and just whatever he had to say. It was just how he led, you know. And so we would, yeah, we would huddle up around him. But that's just how Bo led. And this was a very important practice to Bo. So I was a part of a small group with Bo, just a, a, a group of people that he was building into. You see, Bo loved to de develop young leaders. The Bible calls it discipling. He loved to pour into to see fruit come out of their life. It was a big value to him. He'd done it his whole life, even as a football coach. And so we would meet together in this morning small group. And I remember early Early on, when we first got together, he said, listen, next week, what I want you to do is I want you to bring 10 flashcards with you to small group. I'm like, okay, we're probably not doing math or spelling. And I knew what this was. I'm like, didn't I graduate from Sunday school already? Are we seriously going to memorize verses again? I already got my gold stars. Dude. I, I like lettered in me Bible memory. Like, I'm good. But he knew that this is an important practice and principle, a way of praying that I couldn't even see at that time. And so Bo gave us, we had 10 verses that we were going to learn over the next couple of months together. And so we'd write them out in our little three by five cards. We'd have to keep them with us. Some of us, he'd make them stuff them in our, our wallet so that we'd always have them with us. And every time we came to small group, we'd have to recite our verses, say back our verses. But we were doing far more than just memorizing and reciting these words. We we're beginning to take life and root in our hearts, in my heart. And here I stand almost 20 years later, and guess what? They're still with me. And they've become prayers that have given me words when I don't know what to say to God. Bo was smart. He's a smart coach. And so one of the things he gave us, one of the verses actually came out of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. I think this is an important verse. The Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 basically says this. Like, God, help me to consider how I can spur others on towards love and good deeds. What a great way to start. God, help me today consider how I can spur, how I can help motivate others towards love and good deeds. And then the verse goes on to say, let's not uh, stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, let's just hit pause. See, Bo was smart. He knew that when that morning small group would roll around, there's going to be lots of times where I was not in the habit of getting together. I was not in the habit of getting up at 6.30 a.m. to go to a small group. And maybe some of you are in small group right here at Soul City Church. You're in week three or week four of your small group. You know that drift. We all feel it where you start to get in the habit of, oh, you know, what? just not, just this one week. I'm just going to take a pass this week. And it's so early. Like, God's not even up yet. Like, why would I go? 
or it's at the end of the day and you've had a long, hard day and it's really easy to get in the habit of not getting together. But the verse that Bo had us learn, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let's not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but let's encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching. These are words that I wrote on a little card that have stayed in my heart for the last 20 years. That have become a prayer for me. God, when I feel the drift, when I want to pull back from community, when I want to dis, like, detach and disassociate myself from people who actually really know me and love me, God, help me not to give up meeting together. There's something that you do in this time. Help me to consider how I can spur others on, how you could use my life to help someone else's life. What a powerful prayer that you can make your own. He also gave me a prayer that I've never forgotten. It stayed with me, and it was very, very important then, and it's very, very important to me now. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and, and, and Bo gave us a verse. This is a verse that's become a prayer for me anytime and every time that I feel tempted. And the verse simply says this, there's no temptation that has seized my life, that has overcome me, except that which is common to everyone. Now let me just pause on that. The verse basically says that there's no temptation that's come your way in your life or in my life that someone else hasn't already faced, that in fact Jesus himself didn't face. He faced temptation in every way yet was without sin. And so Paul is saying and encouraging me and this prayer is becoming to me a prayer to say, listen, I don't have to worry like this is going to be too much for me because there's no temptation that can ever seize me except that which anyone else has already gone through. And the verse goes on to say, God, you are faithful. You will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. But when I am, you will give me a way to stand up under it. That's the translation that Bo had us memorize. You will give me a way to stand up under the weight of temptation. Do you have any temptation in your life right now that is weighing you down? You feel pulled back into that relationship. You've been thinking about that little escape all morning, that little addiction that you've justified for so many years. God says, I'm never gonna let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, because you will be, I will give you a way to stand up under it by my strength. This verse has become a prayer for me every time I sense temptation coming. God, you will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. I know it. What's coming to me has already come to others. God, you will walk me through this. This is what happens when we pray the word of God into and over our life. I am praying the will of God into and over my life. And if you ever want to pray a prayer that you know God will answer, pray these words. Make his heart for you, your heart for him. This is a practice that, like I said, has been a part of the faith for many, many, many hundreds of years. And it's one that you can actually begin to practice this week. In fact, this week, this is going to be our spiritual prayer practice together. We're going to pray. We're going to literally plagiarize prayers. We're going to steal from the Bible and pray those words back to God and watch him move in our lives. And so to help us do that, I thought we could maybe do that together in our time together, not just to recite words together, but to really let these words go deep into our heart and to reflect on them and then to say them back together in the presence of this spiritual community. And I want to walk us through Psalm 23. It's a very, very, very famous psalm. And maybe you want to write this down or dog ear this in your Bible. This is a, a very famous, recognizable psalm that I've just taken. I've changed some of the words, some of the pronouns around to make it personal between me and God, us and God. And I'm actually going to ask you to pray out loud. You already did the oral quiz a little bit ago. So now I'm going to ask you to actually pray these words out loud. But we're going to pray them slowly. We're not going to race through them or rush through them. We're going to let these words become our words. 
We're going to let God's heart become my heart, your heart right now. So I'd ask you, to, you don't even have to turn there in the Bible. We'll put it up on the screen. In fact, I'd ask you to put anything and everything in a way that might distract you so that you can be present to God. One of the prayer postures we teach our, kid and we're learning, our kids and we're learning as a church is to pray with our hands open. So maybe even as you read these words, you open your hands and open your heart to God and we're going to pray these words together and then we're going to respond to God by singing back to him words that someone else wrote just for us in this moment. These are the words that David wrote you know, thousands of years ago, but I would ask you to make them your prayer this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to read this out loud slowly with me, and let's just pause and reflect and let these words sink in. Let's read this together, Psalm 23. God, you are my shepherd. I lack nothing. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside quiet waters. Just be quiet and still for a second and let that sit in. This is who God is. He's a good shepherd. He takes care of his own. It means he takes care of you. It means he takes care of you. In a world that is chaotic and always pulling you in a thousand different directions, he actually can lead you to places of peace. Does anyone want that in their life this week? To be led by God to a place of peace, even in the midst of chaos. Verse three, let's pray this together. You refresh my soul. You guide me down the right paths for your glory. Just hit pause there for a second. You have a lot of decisions coming your way this week. A lot of different paths you can choose. In your relationships, your work, your future. What would it look like to say, God, I, I believe that you can actually refresh and renew my soul and you can guide me down the right paths. I don't have to live in fear and anxiety. I can live in dependence dependence on you, God. Because this is what you love to do. This is what you will do when I submit myself to you. Let's pray together verse four out loud together right now. Look at what it says. Even when I walk through dark times, I won't be afraid for you are with me. Your presence will comfort me. Are you walking through a dark, difficult season right now in your life? A season of rejection season of betrayal, season of loneliness, season of pain, suffering, loss. Our family walked through a hard week this week. It may not have been a hard week for you. It was a hard one for our family. And so for me to stop and to trust and believe that even when I do, and I will, and you will, walk through dark times, we are not alone because God is with you. His very presence is what comforts you through those dark times. Let's read verse five and make this our prayer together. You take care of me even when others are against me. You bless me to the point of overflowing. Just let that sit with you for a second. That God takes care of you even when others are against you. You got anyone working against you? It feels like that way in your life right now? Or maybe you've ever had one of those weeks where it feels like the entire universe is conspiring against you? Say no. God, even when others are against me, you are actually for me and you bless me to the point of overflowing so that I can be a blessing to others. And let's close out Psalm 23 with this prayer. Your goodness and love are with me every day and I will be in your presence forever. And this is pretty profound to think about what David didn't even know as he wrote those words and prayed and poured his heart out to God. 
that not only is God with you in every moment in this life, but because of who Jesus is and what he did for you and I, his sacrificial death, him paying it all for us, for you and for me, that guarantees God's presence with you for eternity when you enter into relationship with him. That when you enter into relationship with Jesus, and maybe today is the day that that begins for you. I hope it is. You begin a relationship with God where his presence is with you in every moment in this life and well past this life. And that is such a gift. What a prayer for you to pray, to even just stop. You see what we just did? We could have just breezed through and read that. But what we did is we made that prayer our prayer. Those words are words. And in so doing, we were praying the will of God, God's desire for you over your life. You continue to pray this prayer and just watch how you see God move in your life. So that's our homework together this week. That's our prayer practice. We're actually going to plagiarize the Bible. We are going to take these prayers and make them our own. And all throughout the week, we're going to be putting up different prayers on social media. You can follow us on our Instagram account or through our website and get these, but I thought maybe you might want to jot these down now as well. So here's just the references that I use today. We'll put them up on the screen so you can see Psalm 23, Galatians 5, Matthew 6, Hebrews 10, 1 Corinthians 10, you might want to jot these down. I'll leave those up and give you a second to do so. And maybe, maybe that's where you start. You just pick one of these and say, this is going to be my prayer. And you pray it every day this week. Maybe you pray each of these every day this week. Maybe you pray one and then you pray one the next day. I don't know. I'm going to lead you. You're a pretty creative individual. I bet you can find a way to pray in a way that brings your own heart to God. And pray these words of God over your life. And in so doing, pray the will of God over your life. What a powerful way for us to pray this week. And maybe, just maybe, you didn't even know you could do that. But you can. And we are going to actually together this week. See, you're already awesome at this because this is what we do every time we gather together and we sing. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about it before, but when we sing and when we worship together, this is what we're doing. We're plagiarizing. We're taking someone else's words and we're making them our own. These songs don't magically appear on the screens. Like someone writes them, and then they become our song to God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? See, this is already a practice in your life. You just may not have connected the dots between God's words and your words and his heart and your heart. But that's what we do, and that's why it's so important that we worship when we gather here together. And so for the next few moments, we're just going to respond with a song to God. We're going to pour out our heart to him using the words that someone else wrote. And so I'm going to actually ask you to, to stand right now and to prepare yourself to respond to God, to sing to him. We're going to respond with one song, and I want to give you a little context to where this song comes from. You may not have ever known this before, but it actually came about 150 years ago up in the choir loft of the Monument Street Methodist Church in downtown Baltimore, Maryland. There's a woman who, who was up in the choir loft while the pastor was praying. Her name's Elvina Hall, and she was sitting up there, and, and the pastor was just going on and on and on. Maybe you can relate. On and on and on. And guess she was falling asleep in the choir loft, so like everyone could see her. And it was a, and so her mind began to wander, and she began to wonder about the reality of what Jesus had done for her specifically. Sweet Elvina Hall began to get a word from God, and she knew this was coming straight from the heart of God for her. And so she wanted to write it down. She wanted to capture it 
So she grabbed one of those like church golf pencils, those little half pencils, and she, she didn't have a piece of paper to write it down. This is, this is 150 years ago. She didn't just have like a phone to put it in. So she looks around and, and she sees an old, you know, the hymnal that they use every week in church. It's like, well, I guess this is the right place to do it. So she opens up the hymnal and inside the cover of the hymnal, she begins to scratch down these words while her pastor is praying. God is speaking directly to her heart from his. And this is what sweet Elvina Hall wrote down. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray and find in me thine all in all. Because Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And in that moment, she wrote those words down. She felt like she'd heard from God. She began to scribble the rest of that down and went to her pastor afterwards. And he wasn't bothered that she was writing down hymns while he was praying. He was overjoyed. And they put that to song. And that's what we're going to sing together right now. We're going to use Elvina's words as our own in response to this God, this Savior who has already done it all for you, covered every sin, bore every burden, made a way possible for you and for me to have relationship with him. Though my sin leaves a crimson stain over my life, he continues, praise God, he continues to wash it white as snow, wash it white as snow, so that I can begin again with him. So let me pray for us and we'll respond to him together by singing this. Thank you, Jesus, that these words are true. Thank you that you gave them to someone 150 years ago in downtown Baltimore, and here we are 150 years later in downtown Chicago making these words our words. And so, God, align our hearts with yours, and as we sing and speak your word back to you, God, will you pour out your will into and over our life. It's in your name that we sing. Amen. Amen.